Hello, and welcome to Cracking Open a Cold Case. And other two crimes. That was Caitlin opening a can of Diet Coke. I do it for you listeners. I'm Allison. And I am Caitlin. Hey, Caitlin. Hey, Um, Shug. Could you hear that? Yeah, that was a good Diet Coke slurp. Do you have any big news to share that you've been up to since the last time we were on the horn recording? Um, The last time since we've recorded, I now have an 11-month-old baby boy. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> he is- <laughs> I forgot you gave birth. He is very cute. He looks like a baby from Pixar short. Oh, like so plump. He is so plump and he's so cute and he's starting to walk. Is that advanced for 11 months old? It could be. I think some kid, like most start around a year. So he's just a little bit, I think. But I don't okay, know. Okay, well, good. Yes, yes. If, you, if he has any huge accomplishments, you can just let us know. Oh, I will. You will. And you also... I know a big thing about your life is you have an air fryer. I do have an air fryer. It's Preston's pride and joy. Not the little baby. It's no. the air fryer. Yeah. He loves that air fryer. I do want to get one after coming to your house because you and Preston were like, look at what this can do. You should get one. And we don't even have like the fancy version. And it works amazing. They're all fancy to me, a non-air fryer. Owner. Well, I am very classy, in case our listeners have forgotten that fact about me. No one could forget. No. You're like no. Elizabeth Taylor of Northern Utah. Ooh, as I'm sitting here in my Costco sweats. It's 2020. No one should get dressed. No, I do not get dressed. Okay, is this enough banter? Yes, this is good. <laughs> Wait, wait, you got to tell us one accomplishment of you, something that's happened to you since. Oh, good grief. Nothing. I haven't accomplished anything. Um, I've like gone through several jobs. And you moved to Salt Lake or technically Sugar House, I guess. It's in Salt Lake. So Sugar House is like a neighborhood. Whoa. <laughs> I just want to say the the great thing about the one that we're doing today is I got the idea for it because my older brother, who I, like, barely talk to, not because we don't like each other. He's just very quiet and secretive. Is it um, the one brother that turned off your mom's iPhone iMessages? Yes. Ugh. I'm so mad um, about that still. I shouldn't have disclosed that to you so you wouldn't be <laughs> That's against okay. him. He's a nice guy. He's very yeah. nice. But in, in the group, the family group chat, for some reason, he sent this reddit thread that was on the this guy being actually i don't want to give it away and he sent he sent the reddit thread on the guy that we're talking about today out of nowhere i was just like what i don't know why you're sending this but thank you yeah will you tell him thank you from me yeah the cold ones were cracked on his behalf tonight oh thank you a toast remember when he came to bryce canyon no not really and we run that half marathon. I do remember that, but I don't remember anything but my victories. It was a that, victory. That weekend. It was. I just remember yeah. that brother was there as well. Oh, one more big announcement. 
Sugar just had a birthday. I did turn older. Did you see That's true. my baby's video to you? Yes, it was so cute. Oh, and he good. has fun little teeth. Yes. But it- Sugar is now a year older, a year wiser, and even more beautiful. And a year closer to dying. <laughs> Not as close as I am. That's true. That's the only thing keeping me going. <laughs> okay. Let's get into this cold case. I guess I'll start with what happened. So there were some guys doing construction in a rural field in Colorado. And they found the remains of this girl who had been missing for almost 35 years. It was July 23rd, 2019. And they concluded that the girl died from a gunshot wound to the head. Her name was Jonell. Yep. I want to say John L for some reason. I do too. Cause I, well, I think because it's spelled J-O-N. That's how some people spell John. True. She was the adopted youngest daughter of Jim and Gloria Matthews. Jennifer is her older sister, and Jennifer is not adopted. And her oh. birth mother had, she, had her when she was 13. Oh, that's so little. If you had had Ripkin when you were 13, he'd be 17 right now. Ugh. There is a person in my parents' neighborhood that had their baby at 13. Oh, my gosh. That's so I mean, now I think he's like 50. So it was a long time ago, but his mom was 13. So on December 20th, 1984, and that was three years after Adam Walsh was abducted. Adam Walsh was abducted in a Sears store while his mom was looking at lamps. I can't remember his mom's name, but his dad was John Walsh. And they kind of started the Center of Missing and Exploited Children and kind of got like Amber Alerts, but it was called like an Adam Alert. And his dad was the host of America's Most Most Wanted. Wanted. Heck yeah. I knew about who John Walsh was before I knew the, the origin story about Adam Walsh. But the only reason I put that in the outline is because child abduction was like a hot topic because it, the attention brought on it from his case. Wasn't his abduction kind of like the national like child abduction case? Like more people started to like pay attention and keep kids indoors and keep a closer eye on their kids and stuff. And it kind of changed how people interacted and looked after their kids. Yeah. And I think that they concluded that the people who killed them were Otis Toole and Henry Lee Lucas. Uh-huh. Yep, and that's they, right. Yeah, and they also there was another theory that Jeffrey Dahmer could have been the murderer as well. I read, I listened to a podcast, I can't remember which podcast, but they were throwing that out as a theory, also. But I don't think Adam Walsh's parents believe the Otis Tool and Henry Lee Lucas story, if I remember correctly. I just barely listened to a Dateline. Sorry, I'm getting very far off topic. No, but you're I just good. listened to a Dateline where this girl was murdered in Colorado in like the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And she was 21. And Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole confessed to murdering her. Be- but it was false. They just wanted to confess so that they would get the biggest record of murders. And they did have a, like, a lot of false confessions like that. So I think that's why some people don't believe that they were involved with Adam Walsh. But... um. So in 1984, on December 20th, 12-year-old Janelle goes missing. That night, she was performing like a Christmas concert, holiday choir concert, I believe. 
Yep, with her middle school choir, and it was at a nursing home. She went to the concert by herself because her dad was at Jennifer's basketball game, and her mom was out of town. She went to go visit Jonelle's grandma, who was ill. After the concert, Jonelle got a ride home from her friend Deanne and Deanne's dad. They got to Jonelle's house about 8.15 p.m., and the garage door was open when she got home, but no one was home. Like we, I said, her mom was gone and her dad and sister were at Jennifer's basketball game. As, as like a person significantly older than 12, if I got home and my I knew no one was home and the garage door was open, I would probably be like, wait out here for me. I'm going to see if someone's in there. And if they're not, then I'm coming home with you. Cause yes. I'm- well, even now, like if I leave... And go to like the gas station to get a Coke and I leave my garage open. It still freaks me out if I come home and my garage is open, even though I'm the one that left it open. I guess it's probably that old thing where people are like, it was so safe there that we could leave our doors unlocked. And so you're probably just like, huh, my dad forgot to close it. But I also think their friend's dad could have been like, ooh, I'll wait for a second. I don't know. But I do think that's weird. Yeah. She like didn't seem concerned, and the friend and her dad didn't seem concerned, but we don't have their testimony about it. Maybe it's out there somewhere, but I didn't write it down. Right? We don't have it on this podcast, so I'm going to bash Dan's dad for that. That was about 8.15 when she got home, and around 8.30, she took a phone call and got a message written down that was for her father. And that was the last time anyone spoke to her. And so her dad gets home from the basketball about 9.30. And the garage door is still open. So Janelle hadn't closed it. Or maybe it had been closed and reopened. But no one is home when her dad gets home. Janelle's shoes and shawl were near a heater in the family room. And that is where Janelle is known to sit. Jennifer, her sister, gets home about 10, and she didn't see Janelle, hasn't seen Janelle, hasn't heard from Janelle. So once Jennifer gets home, her and her dad kind of talk about it, and they call the police, and the police get there at 10.15, which is pretty fast, I feel like. A 15-minute to get there? I mean, it's all relative. If I were in a closet and there were a murder in my house, and they, a murderer in my house, yeah. and they took 15 minutes to get there, I would be like, I yeah. hate you. Yeah, and that probably was a long 15 minutes. But do you think they were super, super concerned or were they more? It's true. I I guess I don't know the context of the call because they could have called and been like, maybe you want to come check it out, like kind of a casual thing. Yeah, because maybe they weren't super worried about it quite yet. Like, oh, we haven't heard from her. She could have been with her choir friends out on the town. So anyways, they call the police. The police get there at 10.15. When the police get there, they find footprints in the snow around the house, indicating that someone had been looking in through the windows, and there were no signs of struggle or forced entry. But Janelle was gone. I just want to go back to the fact that her shoes were still in the house, and it was winter. It was Christmas time in Colorado. There's snow, and I just don't think a little girl would be able to get very far without shoes. I don't know what could have happened besides like her getting abducted yeah it is interesting that they have that short of a window of time of like her being unaccounted for because i feel like it's usually much larger and more ambiguous mm-hmm. yeah because it was really only an hour the phone call was at 8 30 and her dad got home at 9 30 yeah 
1985, Ronald Reagan gave a speech about missing children and mentioned Jonelle by name. And then 10 years after the disappearance, so in 1994, they declare her dead and have a memorial service for her. 1997, Jonelle's birth mom contacts the mom and asks if she can reconnect with Jonelle. So the original birth mom was never a suspect, which I think is interesting. Also, if, if the police know who she was, that's strange to me that they wouldn't alert her at all that she's been missing for yeah you would think that the family would have told her earlier maybe they didn't know who she was but i mean don't wouldn't police know maybe there's like a legal thing that they can't tell her yeah but i feel like that's weird why can't a police be like hey your biological child has passed away or is missing i don't know because they would have to know who she was because i thought i read somewhere that they had her on surveillance. The birth mom followed her and watched her for a little bit after the disappearance. They could have. I didn't pay that close of attention. I just thought it was an interesting blip that 13 years later, she was like, maybe we should have a relationship. And then the mom had to be like, she's been missing for 13 years. Yeah. So this is what piqued my interest is the guy, Steve Panky. He lived two miles away from where Jonell lived and he'd been a youth pastor at the church of the that his, the family had attended her family. I listened to a really long interview with him where he claims that they didn't go to the church at the same time. But I mean that could be him trying to distance his connection from her as yeah, much as he can. Yep, acting like he didn't really know her. Yeah, exactly. Also another point of interest is that he had run for governor of Idaho in the Republican primary in 2018. And you can go to his gubernatorial website. First of all, gubernatorial is the funnest word. (laughs) And on his website, it says, As governor, Steve Pankey will support President Trump's nationalist policies. Your Steve Pankey vote will drain the swamp in 2018 and beyond. Your First and Second Amendment rights go together. Lose one and you will lose the other. Okay. I mean, like, yeah, it's just a fun statement. (laughs) I mean, you can kind of tell the type of person he is just from his political Yeah, it's it's interesting to openly be like, I'm a nationalist when it's like, it's a difference between being patriotic and nationalist is like, nationalists are like pretty much xenophobic and don't care about like if it's detrimental to other countries or whatever. Yep. So he lived... 10 miles north of where her body was found. And he watched children walk home from Jonelle's middle school. I don't remember exactly who the source was for that, but I read it in several different places. Oh, I don't like that statement. He watched kids walk home from the middle school. Yeah, dude. I don't know. Like just even like that phrase just makes you go, Hmm, something's up with this guy. Even if he didn't kill or abduct Jonelle, he should be on some kind of registry or something. Yeah. Cause I don't know anybody who sits and watches kids walk home. Also, the interesting thing about this case, there's like a lot of interviews with him to because he wanted to like try to take control of the narrative. I don't think it did him that pretty much any good, but it was interesting that he like he reached out to a podcast to have a, an interview with them. It's called Unfound. It's literally four hours long. Ooh. And just I like listened- him just talking. Yeah, I listened to like an hour of it and then I was like, I can't. No. I can't do this anymore. No. Flashing 
back to September 13th, 2019. So this is two months after her, almost two months after her remains are found. Mm -hmm. And he's named as a person of interest by the Greeley Police Department because Greeley is the city in Colorado. I think we haven't said it yet. Well, now Um, we did. His wife at the time of the kidnapping and murder told investigators he acted erratically in the days following (laughs) Jonelle's disappearance. And yep. asked her to read him newspaper accounts about the case. So this is these are the points of why they're looking at him, in case I didn't make that clear. Well, and During- then, like, a lot of these, like, person of interest, if they did commit the crime, they seem to be really invested in the case. So they will ask about what's happening. They'll watch the news reports. They'll read the papers. They, like, Google search. Like, they really want to be involved with the investigation. And so just even that, like acting erratically and asking about the newspaper accounts about the case, just kind of that is a big red flag. True. I mean, it could be that since it's in close proximity to him, maybe that's what piqued his interest. But according to his own really long interview, he claims that he was really interested in it because... He knew he was going to be suspected. During a church service a few months after her disappearance, when a minister said that Jonelle would be found safe, Mr. Panky muttered false prophet under his breath, his wife told investigators. Okay. And then in a newspaper in Twin Falls, Idaho, he had some interview, and he claimed he was being framed by the police for his sexuality, being a celibate homosexual. He claims he and the Greeley police... Uh, had a bad relationship because when he was 26, he got accused of date raping a 23-year-old girl. In his story, they were dating. She got pregnant and he didn't want her to get an abortion, but she went to England and got an abortion and he threatened to tell the church and then she formally accused him of date rape. And then he claims, I mean, he passed a polygraph test about it, which I mean, is not really a smoking gun in terms of being innocent but yeah because polygraphs are hit and miss i feel like he was talking about how he wasn't a judicial virgin so he claims that the police were always after him he was charged over his years in colorado with as many as 20 misdemeanors like battery and harassment by phone and claims he won all the trials what again he's the source so yeah i feel like we can't even really acknowledge what he's saying (laughs) He said he's never met Janelle, never met her family, and he didn't know she existed or disappeared until Wednesday, December 26, 1984. His alibi is that he and his wife were packing up the car that night, and they went on a trip to California to see his parents the next morning, and they came back on the 26th, and that's the first time he heard about it on the radio. So, sorry, I'm getting all flustered. No, you're doing great. So he is a patron, patron, patron. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say patronus, like from Harry Potter. <laughs> okay, he's a patron for a couple different podcasts. Um, one it, of the pod- it is a pa- oh wait, did you say he's a patron? Patron. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay, go on, go on. Sorry, he's a patron. For podcasts, um, one podcast is The Trail Went Cold, and they did an episode on Jonelle in 2017, but this episode doesn't mention Steve Pinky. Um, another one is The Vanished. They don't have an episode on Jonelle, but he is a $2 supporter, so he's rolling out the big bucks. 
the podcast Unfound did a four hour long interview, which is what Sugar was talking about earlier. They did an interview with him in November 2019 when he was just a person of interest. And the host got an email on Patreon and it said that he subscribed for one month before he was made an official purchase of interest. And one month after Jonelle's remains were found. The trail went cold. The one that he was a patron of, they did the episode over on 2017 when her remains weren't found. So like nobody knew who he was or like had any idea. And then um, the podcast traced evidence. He was a $5 supporter. So he is dishing out some dough to these podcasts. He also has two sons. One was murdered in 2008 by his ex-girlfriend. At the age of 20, he was shot a month before his 21st birthday. After the death of his son, Steve Pinky said what he needed was a third great awakening revival that returned to God of the Bible in God's terms. I found that on like a family history website. I feel like it had like a, a family tree of theirs and then it had that and then his statement. That's different. And then he does not believe in gun control of any kind and hope that all gun laws would be repealed. I did read another thing about his son's murder. After his son was murdered in 2008 at his son's funeral, Panky's ex-wife heard Panky state, I hope God didn't allow this to happen because of Jonelle. Where did you read that? I've never heard that. Wikipedia. Oh, Ground zero for info. I should have known. Yeah. So that's an interesting statement he said. He sounds pretty questionable in general. Like if you go back and listen to that really, really long interview, he's a very interesting person. I also read a thing that the police said he had been a person of interest for a long time because he intentionally inserted himself in the investigation many times over the years. He also would claim to have knowledge of the crime and he would ask for immunity in exchange for information. And like the criminal indictment said he would insert himself in the investigation and he gave knowledge of the crime, which grew inconsistent and incriminating over the years. And he also claimed that on the evening of Jonelle's abduction, a rake was used to cover up the tracks left in the snow. And like you said earlier, he did, he claimed to have watched middle school students walking home. So he said that. The rake evidence was withheld by police because they do stuff like that so that if people come forward, they can't like do false confessions if they don't. I mean, I mean I'm not a police. So I don't know exactly which details they like to hold back or how yeah, they verify yeah. it. But I know that they do do that. And that apparently, allegedly was not public knowledge yeah sorry i just jumped the gun on that caitlin i was saving it (laughs) i'm sorry do you like that i put as one of the talking points on him i put he is 69 now oh 69 but 13 months after he was named a person of interest on october 13th 2020 he was indicted on charges of two counts of first degree murder and kidnapping he's in jail in idaho with no bail waiting to be extradited to colorado good 
He argued in a 1999 pleading filed with the Idaho Supreme Court that if the court ruled in a certain fashion, it is reasonable for the appellant to believe he would get the death penalty for revealing the location of Jonelle Matthews' body. He also wrote, without a deal, this case would never be solved. Jeez. So that's like the aforementioned he tried to get deals. Which is weird that he wouldn't be named as a suspect earlier, but I guess they didn't really have evidence besides him being weird as all hell. Yeah, yeah. And they did have those, like, red flags, but red flags don't necessarily make you a criminal. Remember on our iTunes reviews how someone was like, you guys have little kid voices, but you say (laughs) swear words. And we haven't sworn this episode. Yeah. We're we're growing. We are in our late twenties, early thirties. Oh, exactly. <laughs> okay, but you're you're the youngest of your decade, so you should feel good. Thank you, but you're the oldest of yours. I know. <laughs> I do not feel good about it. No, I don't feel good about being thirty. What have I done with my life? Have a baby? That's all. That's something. I haven't done anything. But be a cool guy. Um, I do have one more thing to say about this case that I just read. What? What? So Jennifer, which is Jonelle's older sister, said that the family did experience some closure when they learned that Jonelle was murdered. Jennifer considers Steve Pankey's arrest to be another gift to the family. And her father was really excited to see justice finally happen for his daughter. Jennifer said that in 1984, when Jonelle went missing and was murdered there was a sibling rivalry rivalry between them and she was really sad about the disappearance and when she found out about the murder and everything because Jonelle's killing eliminated the possibility of the two siblings to grow closer you don't necessarily like think about what's going on with the sisters right then and it's like yeah they can never change what was happening right then with their relationship and that's really sad so lots of downer downer note to end it on agreed what's a happy thing that you can share that happened in 2020 for you oh i got a new car i have a mom car now is it a minivan no it's a kia sorrento (laughs) (laughs) don't laugh i love it what's one good thing about 2020 for you what have i done i've gotten a job uh it's good thank you for listening to the reboot of cracking open a cold case with allison and caitlin we can't wait to see you guys again we will be back with another episode relatively soon i'm not going to give a deadline for us sorry if we're rusty it's just I don't think life. we were too rusty. I think our banter is still there. I think we're still two ping ping balls in the wind, but that's what our fans are here for. Oh yeah, we need to bring up the ping ping two ping ping balls in a windstorm more. Let's make some merch that have that on the shirt. Oh, okay, oh, on my way next. to do it. Crew net. Yes. Okay, okay, we're on it. Okay. 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 Bye.